interview comedians and creatives about their favourite documentary. My name is Jane Edwards and I'm a writer, comedian and actor who just happens to love documentaries so I was really thrilled to find so many other people who love them too. This episode I spoke to Sean Morley. Sean is a comedian, podcaster and absurdist streamer who has created some of the most fascinating and original live events and streams including the masterpiece that is Mall Vision. Sean is also the creator of the genre-defining Lang show, which I urge you all to check out live if you get the chance. We talked about Big River Man, the 2009 documentary that follows Slovenian everyman Martin Strel as he swims the Amazon. Now, just an editor's note from me here. This was actually my first ever recording of the podcast, and I just want to say a big shout out to Sean for being so patient and helping me create what was a really, really fun episode. I did record an opening to this podcast, but I botched it way more than usual and don't seem to have had a second go. Um, So we are basically straight in on this one. So here we go. And should we have a crack at giving people like um, an overview of what this film is? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it dedicates a lot of time right at the beginning just to try and give you a really clear image of who Martin Strell, the, uh, what, how old is he at this point? He's like 48-year-old Slovenian endurance swimmer. Yeah. Um, and it says, unlike a lot of other extreme athletes and in endurance athletes, he is um, medically overweight. He drinks very regularly. He um, His favourite food is horse burgers. Even when he's swimming, he refuses to stop drinking and will still have like half a bottle of wine a day, sometimes while in the water. So he um, he's incredibly fit by some metrics, but by others like, you know, blood pressure. Um, he's, he's a bit crumbling. <laughs> I think like at the beginning of the film, that's like really emphasised that he is just such a normal bloke. Um, but I guess as well, there's something, I think there's something like dark about that as well. He's like, he's like, um, have you seen those, um, models of like, uh, they made a model for like a science museum I went to once where like it's showing how different parts of your anatomy are based on how sensitive different areas are. So it's got big fingertips, massive genitals, big lips and so on. And they made another um, model of a guy who would survive any car crash based on like the bits that are most injured. And like these kind of, they were both male models and they feel like exaggerations of the male form. Whereas he feels like he's such a normal guy. He's like everything that's like normal about a normal bloke. And like he's Slovenian. This isn't like about the British pub bloke. This is like some kind of at least pan-European this is what it means to be an old guy. <laughs> and you ramp it up 
all the way until the masculinity machine starts heaving and the smoke coming out of it. He's so normal. He is rendered like godlike. <laughs> it that's it and that's what's like which would, would we be so interested in him if he was a typical athlete i don't think i'd be asked not at all and neither would um oh. that navigator he got from some supermarket in the middle of america he wouldn't have started worshiping him if he was just a normal guy normal guy wouldn't be going like a few tens of thousands of kilometers down the most dangerous river in the world as soon as it started, I really noticed that there was like a sense of humour to it all. It's filmed with a sense of humour, and it, I, I thought that the son was the was the director at first because he has that kind of you know. There's a shot of him just stood in a room. Yeah, it loves it loves introducing new characters by showing them like stood as awkwardly as possible, badly lit in a room that wasn't. You know how normally people would when they know they're going to be a film, they be like, "I'll just neaten all this up." I feel like the director was like, "Don't just stand." Off center in your own room with the lights off. <laughs> and that's how you meet everyone. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I, th- I thought that that scene. I would put that in like a comedy film. There was just moments like that mm. where I thought, like, is this not? Is this real? But just what is the angle of this? Because like, if he dies, is it? What kind of film is this sort of thing? Do you know what I mean? Or like when he is talking about designing the banners. And he shows like the pose that he does and things like that. And I thought that's so funny, but also dad might die. (laughs) So it's nice having like a mixture. I guess documentaries can do that because it's all real. So nothing is really like bad taste or out of place. Yeah, because it's you haven't chosen to put it in as a writer. I think there's like all these different concerns that come with documentary making, because I think you are making a bit of a fiction in only choosing to include certain slices of reality. Mm. It's like, um, who was it? One of the beat writers or whatever did the cut-up technique where they just chop up bits of other people's writing and see how they get rearranged. There's something about that in documentary making where you're like, you've chosen a story to tell. You're just using bits of reality to do it. But then on top of that, on top of like this kind of like galaxy brain fictionalization of reality, there's also just bits in the film later on where you're like no, I don't <laughs> I don't think that I don't think I I feel relatively sure there must be bits near the end that are made up and just put in to qu- make you question reality at the end where there's something's happening and basically the sun is trying to push his way in with a speech yeah 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 yeah. he's written and i was like fully like is this film even i googled the guy because i was like is this actually even a real guy you know you feel like you you might have been had it's not beyond the realms of possibility that somebody like him would do this sort of endurance thing and be fueled by all this sort of pain i guess that like makes total sense to me and it's possible but in that moment i was like have i just been completely tricked is that guy an actor is this guy an actor because that made that bit made no Mm. sense to me whatsoever (laughs) but also the fact that like it's it's sometimes you forget to do this because you're like acclimatized to like tv drama if they're not letting the sun in with the speech they're not going to let the documentary maker with a massive camera into there right this is it yeah why (laughs) there's all these places where it's like 
the moment you're like, why would the camera be exactly right there? Yeah. You have to question it. You do forget though, don't you? And I guess, do you know what? Saying that, at the when they eventually speak to the son about the speech and he's got it right there and it's like, yeah, it took so much time and creativity and so much work to make that, to write that speech for him and he picks it up and it's what, like 17 lines so if that i've just sort of like in fairness he lost the original copy and then had to quickly write uh, it again on a rowboat okay i'm being unfair but <laughs> but i thought i was you know it's always that it's not explicitly a joke but there's something there it's like this is meant to be a sort of subtle joke yeah um, so I don't know whether they... Fi- I just couldn't get my head around, like, how have they filmed that? You know, he's, like, pushing the paramedics mm. and stuff. And I was just like, have they asked the paramedics? Or is this him later on? You know, they've borrowed an ambulance and they just thought this would be, like, a funny bit to do at the end. But I thought that was... It was, like, great about the film, but it was really confusing at the same time. And just going back to, like... Because the subject of the film is the film. This guy, Martin Strahl, and they build him up but it's all comedy. It's all sort of not poking fun. It's just changing the silliest little odd little things they do. And the fact that he's like larger than life. Um, and it makes you love him. And I'm sure in reality, I think he's probably a bit of a shit as well. Like there's all these delusions to him have a short temper and he was from like uh, an abusive household. And it sounds like he can also get quite angry with his children as well. And you're like, there's definitely shades of grey to this guy. But when you've only seen like the first third of the film, you're like, this is the uber bloke. This is the every bloke. This guy just loves life. He likes eating red meat and drinking. And he wants people to be his friend. And he wants to like have more money. And these are all things I normally despise (laughs) in a person. But I love this guy. And he's... I don't know what it is about how they've done it, but, but here's a likability that so many people, you know, Peter Kay could never, this is who Peter Kay wants to be, <laughs> could never do it, just can't do it. Peter Kay could never. <laughs> Peter Kay could never swim the Amazon <laughs> to advertise a bitter. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I think it's, it's like, it's very everyman, but there are obviously things about him that are unusual day to day. Like when he goes underground to be with the animals <laughs> yeah there's the sentence they introduced that in because because he said obviously like he does a lot of swimming he's always swimming he's got a lifetime pass to the largest um indoor swimming pool in europe it said but he also tries to prepare his mind and uh, and it says he has a password from the Slovenian government to enter a large cage. Uh, sorry, to enter a large cave. And he's like one of the only citizens that can go in this cave. And he goes and sits in it. And when the documentary like maker gives him a chance to speak, he says, I will be safe if I am like an animal. <laughs> <laughs> Animals don't think anything, and I'm practicing that. Honestly, that was I loved that bit. That's dream documentary moments to me. And there's moments like that in documentaries where you think the filmmaker must just be like, yes, thank God. <laughs> Usually you think, okay, so you managed to get the very best moments. But you do get an impression with this one 
the cutting room floor must have so much mad stuff on it like the 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 beats of the story that you just get like a, a little shot or two to illustrate and you're like i would happily have this whole thing be five times longer tell me exactly how this thing went down or or this part of the swim um and this whole element that he's doing it to protect the rainforests and this is actually an environmental cause to me, I think he just wants to do the swim because he has a deep psychological need to do endurance swims, which he doesn't understand, but is nevertheless, you know, <laughs> compelled by. And I think it, they tack on the uh, the environmentalism sort of as a reason to to do it and get funding, and you know, I, I guess because they need press to get the money to get all of the kit and the boat and the doctor and stuff, and so you couldn't really get all of the palaver if you were doing it just for a laugh, right? I guess, and who would sponsor a guy who's like squirting wine into his mouth while he's doing it? You know, without that, no yeah. one would, yeah, you wouldn't touch this. And because obviously, and because there's like a massive risk that he might die. Yeah. The environmentalism allows people to feel excited and happy about a guy doing something that any doctor in the world would say, this is going to kill you. <laughs> this, is <it. laughs> this is you. This is you somehow killing yourself with everyone cheering you on. How have you managed that? Yeah, I wasn't taking I, I kept honestly forgetting about the environmentalism thing and then they kept bringing it up and it was like, because usually when people do things like that, they have this like press talk. You know, the mm. whole press thing is about that thing. And I think it gets brought up by the sun mm. kind of casually once or twice. And then there's oh no there is a, a scene isn't there of like the rainforests and um, that cause but oh there's several there's several cutaways to like a pretty po-faced like voiceover showing you rainforest stuff and giving you some facts about deforestation and and climate change and stuff and it I think it does have a place in in the film I think I think the film has a quite a legitimate line on what it means to like communicate with nature and how that's not possible in a polluted world. Um, but it also slightly undermines it because the guy who is supposed to be getting in touch with nature absolutely loses his mind. There's this American guy as well who is like, I don't know how to describe him, an assistant. Well, he is, he Set, he claims to be a professional gambler at night, but works in one of the big American box store type supermarkets during the day. So he's like, uh, he's like a working class minimum wage, lives in one of the states in the Midwest, I think, and got really excited with and somehow close to Martin during his swim across the Mississippi. And Martin brought him on board as a navigator and guide. But he is very explicit while on the Amazon trying to work out how to use the GPS that he is learning on the go. He is here primarily because there's a shoestring budget. And he says quite obstinately a few times, if you wanted a better navigator, you should have paid for one. I'm still trying to read the map. <laughs> yeah. I love that moment. That I think that's definitely where the film sort of tips into like, uh-oh, what's... Oh, uh, yeah, this is it's... not... <laughs> It kind of potters along until that moment, especially, yeah, like you said, moments where he stood on the boat and going like, well, I don't know where I am. 
we're lost as mm. though it's like some sort of external factor that's caused that and not just him not knowing what he's doing and they have this kind of i don't know what you described this kind of boat as but they've got a larger boat in that the sort of staff that is needed including the doctor you know they all can be and so that martin also can get out of the water and sleep in a bed ever um and that also they said was very cheap and the captain of that has this real like laissez-faire what will be will be attitude which causes them to like constantly career into the banks and he will like go to sleep at random times and <laughs> yeah it just seems like full of characters really and again like if this was like a, a proper athlete with like a full team this just wouldn't be an interesting film for me personally it's all these like mm. personalities that come together just through the fact that he just wants to do it all on the cheap and ultimately it, it's it, it's framed around the spectacle and the feet of someone swimming the amazon which is by far the longest endurance swim any human being has done with all the other attempts at similar lengths all being done by martin strell like he's just like hands down he owns the whole pursuit of endurance swimming no one else is willing to do the things he does because they they, they value their life or, or whatever and it comes to the end and and there's so much around him saying like you have done a fantastic thing you've like you know, people consider him like a totemic symbol of humanity. <laughs> but at the same time, he only achieved it because he was absolutely willing to throw his body and mind away. And it feels really... Is this a good thing? What are we supposed to think about this guy? And at the end, he just is back sat in front of the TV... And like, well, what was all this? Like, it didn't raise any... Oh, no, it said he gambled all the money afterwards. It did raise some money, but then he lost it. And so he's just back in front of, like, mm. a little CRT TV in his couch in, like, 2007. Back exactly where he was, but now it is true that he swam the Amazon. And I, I think that's like the lingering question in my head is like, do I celebrate this? Do I think this is a good thing to do? Do, I, do we, everyone who does it, because through Martin, you can think about everyone who's done like a massive feat like that. But everyone who does puts themselves through the ringer, through the grinder. And like, for what? Is this like a critique of all athleticism and sports? That's a really good point because, but I think that in in the usually when it's like people you know climb Everest or do these sorts of feats of endurance, you know, ultra running and things like this, there's so much focus in the film about finishing. Even things like the Barclay marathons, it's there's so much emphasis put on achieving the goal, and I didn't feel that with this film. Even when he finished, I was a bit like, okay. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not important at all. Yeah, that's when that's when it's like the it's like the film has to like get that out of the way, and like oh yeah, he did get to the end of the Amazon River, but the film knows that's not the focus. It wants to get right past having achieved it to just dealing with the health complications. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to just get to that bit where he's in the hotel room with the preacher. <laughs> yeah, he enters a state. Um, 
so during his time in the Amazon, he, he there's many pitfalls, many hurdles. Um, parasites have got inside him, uh, some inside his brain. Um, his blood pressure, he's, he's, I don't know a word to describe how at risk of a heart attack he is at. He's, um, he's ready to burst. His, his arteries are ready to like give way. Um, he has sores all over his body. He has suffered second degree burns on his face from the heat of the South American sun. And, um, he's, basically completely falling apart by the time he gets there and his mental acuity possibly because of the larvae in his brain he at one point in the film he says i've entered the fourth dimension and then i don't think we see him speak again after that until like weeks and months later yeah that's a good point i completely put the fourth dimension out of my brain <laughs> <laughs> because at the end as well they have people come in and try and break him out of the fourth the fourth dimension and i'm in two um, minds whether any of that's real me too me too they're watching that when they say that he will only be alone with the preacher who is also again, like a puppeteer <laughs> <laughs> yeah that bit also just made no sense and like why was the camera crew that you know mm. a lot of questions um I just think that the the goal of it just played such like second fiddle to someone who's just driven by trauma. Because mm, it makes this whole thing about, they tell this story about how he swam to get away from his violent and abusive father mm. and how something about his need to ritualistically swim further and further is some kind of really advanced and strange coping mechanism i don't that's one of the details where you're like i can see why as a documentary maker you put that in it's kind of an explanatory angle you kind of need one for why he feels the need to do this i don't know how fanciful that is it never really touches upon like it never shows a family member like really drawing that link i i can't quite tell it feels a little bit too neat um, for it to be like, my dad hit me, but he couldn't hit me if I was in the canal, and now I'm swimming the Amazon at 48. I'm not saying it's not true, but there's all these little details in it where, like, there's so much in there where I'm like, I see what the documentary maker is trying to do, but even, like, a subpar documentary maker, of which this guy isn't, there's, like, really, really amazing shots and cuts and great decisions in there, but, like, I don't, you know, I don't care because Martin Strell is a real person. And this, this much, I know the main trunk of it is is real. Um, but at the same time, there has to be a reason he's doing it, and I don't think Martin himself can explain it. I think his desire to be more like an animal and be near nature is probably closer to the truth. And whether or not that's related to trauma, I think Martin is like the depiction of Martin Strell in this film is like the best form that masculinity can take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yes, I think you're right. It's the purest alpha. <laughs> yeah, masculinity not had a good run. I mean, in terms of like securing social hegemonic power 
an amazing run. But in terms of like <laughs> leaving in its wake other demographics who think kindly towards it, I'd say it's on its last legs. But through Martin, you can you can peer at a a, a kinder, gentler masculinity filled with things done to completion for no reason and a, a, a kind of I think he does become an animal <laughs> that's what I want to say I think he manages it I think he manages his goal of not being a person he's just an animal in a way that's not dehumanizing I think I think it's great he's taken mindfulness into a level of insanity and I respectful I respect that I think that's what gets inside you as well watching it because you stop questioning why he's doing it you're just like yeah back in the water so I guess maybe we all go on to like level four whatever it is there's a period where they're like quite far away from any cities and they do meet some like small villages some of them are tribal some of them are just small villages of, of people that live near the near the Amazon basin and Whenever he does come to anything like a town, they like throw a carnival for him, especially like when they get to Brazil, there's like carnival people ready to go whenever he's like near anywhere urban that's on the Amazon. And he flits between these two modes of being like put onto a stage next to dancers while he's still like in his briefs and he's still wet from the water. And he's like, not, he's slightly, he looks like he's disassociating a little bit. And then the next day he's like out swimming again. And it's like, from absolute cacophony of people to like me and the people with me are the only human beings for like miles and miles around that that would that would send anyone around the twist that would send anyone for a loop and then he starts whenever he gets in the carnivals he starts escaping and he starts swimming off at night without permission and there's this line where the sun the sun is like his guardian his keeper he's the closest thing he has to anyone who understands him, but he can't be understood completely because he can't articulate whatever it is that's happening inside him. And when his son says, you know, why are you doing this? He just says, Martin, <laughs> I either did not or could not give me an answer. Does not know. Does not know, just must swim. Yeah, I think his relationship with his son is really that sort of form of nepotism that people have, but like in a bad way, in a way that doesn't really, you just work for your for your parent you just sort of work under them well i think it's a reverse i mean i don't know the timeline of how everything happened but you could imagine a world where if it wasn't for the sun no one would know who martin Stroh was the sun's like the publicist and so you could even go the other way and say actually the sun is ex exploiting the father and just saying this guy is going to swim i'm just pointing him <laughs> at rivers and then we turn this into a living because I ring up BBC News and I say this is about pollution. And but he's like, I I I want swim. Let let me swim. I want swim. And he goes, okay. And then he says he says when he gives radio interviews, he just does the voice of his father because he believes he understands what the narrative is that the radios need to hear. But obviously, Martin Strell himself, um, he talks quite simply and quite plainly, and probably couldn't really compel people unless you dug deep enough to find out what a kind of weird guy he is he wouldn't be very good on the radio i don't think you'd get like <laughs> i don't think you'd get the both barrels of strell um and so i don't know which way round it is it could also be i 
because it said they grew up really poor. So I don't think there is any nepotism involved because there's no generational wealth that's like trickling down. This guy just started to swim and one of the sons was like, okay, I guess I'm the guy who becomes like the dad's swimming manager. <laughs> yeah, I just think they, they just have such a strange relationship. But also you can't see Martin having any other any other sort of relationship with his son because his son seems completely different to him. Yeah, he's quite um, understated and seems quite... I mean, they both seem quite calm, I suppose. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's a bit like a, a Lynn to his dad's Alan Partridge. And and then he, he, the son will reveal these little things of being like, oh yeah, he normally has a psychotic break at this point in the swim, yeah, and I look after him. And the son, the son likens it to a baby. And I think when your dad's become a baby, that really makes you feel bad for the son. Like, oh, yeah, that's the wrong way around, right? <laughs> dad should be at the top, then a son, and then if there's a baby, it should go at the bottom. But now the dad's where the baby should be. I get how that's against the natural order. But I think the son's wrong. His dad hasn't become a baby. His dad's become an animal, and he should be allowed to do that. <laughs> he should be allowed to animorph. You're not allowed to baby, I think. I think, that, I think that probably is the wrong way around. can't Benjamin Button yourself while your son's just trying to make a crust. But you can animorph into a kind of man-fish, I think. That should be a legal move. <laughs> that should be a human right. I think if you want to be an animal, yeah, I think because becoming an adult baby, no matter what people say, it is a fetish. And I don't think your children should be uh, forced to be brought into that as part of their <laughs> living arrangements and income. But I don't think it's a fetish to turn into an animal. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if you if you're doing it I for the, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're doing it for the right, if you're doing it to save the Amazon, if you're doing it for the right reasons, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you become an animal. But let me check your motives. Like, oh yeah, I want to be a squirrel and sneak into the co-op and get a Yorkie. Nah. <laughs> No, <laughs> go over there with the adult babies. If it's like an honourable animal, then that's fair enough. Yeah, but we're slaying, right? Because we know, I, I, I think all of the uh, Amazon stuff is there to give a raise and detra for the whole thing. Mm. I, I don't, I don't think he swim. I think he, I think he does care about the Amazon. He doesn't want it to go, but I don't think he. It's, he, he goes, oh, I need to raise awareness of the Amazon, so I'll swim in it. He just wants to swim in it. Yeah. And this all comes later. He just wants to be an animal for its own sake. And that's fair enough. I think so. Well, I guess, uh, do you know what, Ashley? No, I mean, let's devil's advocate on this. Because this, I think, is this is the very core. This is the philosophical molten core of the film. Is it fair enough? <laughs> <laughs> because he's not, he's not like a real animal, right? Because a real animal, not to talk, not to animal splash, I'm sure you've seen him, but mm. a real animal doesn't have a boat full of staff following it, right? Normally. Not normally. I'm not saying it's never happened, but normally not. And I think if you need that, you're not really an animal. And and it's also true if the boat were to like leave and be like, okay, I guess you're an animal then. I guess you can just live wild here. Then he'd be dead in a day. Exactly. This guy's a fraud. Yeah. That's he wants to be a kind of Truman Show animal. <laughs> well, he thinks he's an animal. He's got all this kind of stuff hanging out behind him, making sure he doesn't get hit by a log or a crocodile. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that changes the whole... That changes the tone of the film. 
and now I'm furious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is it. This is this is how this is me watching it. I'm like, should he be an animal? And I'm just constantly swinging one way or the other. Just let him be an animal. Yeah, but it's, he, it's not going to happen though because he needs a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, probably a lot of animals need a doctor, and we just don't have the resources. <laughs> Why we need a properly funded NHS? <laughs> yeah, just just to send vets out into the forest. <laughs> yeah, no animals die again, and all the ecosystems are destroyed. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna need to let some of the animals just <laughs> yeah stop snatching all of the food out of the fox's mouth because the predators need something. They're dying. Is it legal to put yourself in loads of danger? What, what's the law on that? I don't know, because if you went and stood on something really tall, you'd be arrested. But you're allowed to do this. And what, what what's the law? Like, what law would we be? Reckless endangerment, maybe, of, of yourself? I think it would stray into, like, Mental Health Act stuff. So I guess, again, it's just like a reasoning Yeah, thing. you need to be sanctioned. It's just like a... If you have like a charity behind you, but then could you stand on something really tall and have a charity behind you? But that's it. Yeah, what, when he says he's doing it for the Amazon rainforest, isn't a charity there? Because a charity would say we can't associate ourselves with this because it's more likely than not that you'll die. And so if I stood at the top of like Nelson's column or something, and it's like really windy, and they're like, we need to get you down, and then I think we need to take you to like an emergency mental health team. I go, oh, don't worry. It's for, you know, the rainforest. They would have every right to say, and in, sorry, and in what way is this helping the rainforest? Like, what's the connection between you up there? And, and do you think the rainforest is going to have a better chance now that you've stood up there? Like, well, you know, I've got to talk about it with you, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> You're now thinking about the rainforest. You probably wouldn't have done otherwise. And I think, I think they'd have to accept that. Yeah, I think... If they don't, then they're sort of against the rainforest. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably with Shell and BP and stuff like that. <laughs> and that's your plan to get out of being sectioned, is to start ranting about them being with Big Shell, Big Oil. Ranting? Did you not hear me? I think I was very clear. I was calm. <laughs> yeah, officer, you seem less calm than me. I'm just trying to raise awareness. This is a campaign. Yeah, I guess I always feel like that with like, um, I mean, it's any ultra endurancey thing. You've got to have something going on. There's a reason that people do it, isn't there? But then at the same time, like we were talking before about like trauma. I think it, it, you're right that it's easy just to go, oh, trauma. And also with people who've been through these like very abusive childhoods, it doesn't feel fair sometimes to just constantly link everything that they do to that. Do you know what I mean? Because then it's like you're always attached to this thing that people will read everything that you do through. And, and, and maybe that's what's happened here, right? We never hear Martin say, oh, this is because of my dad. This is it. But then Martin says it's because of the rainforest. So I also just don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd be better off just going, I just I just want to do it. Yeah, which is what every other athlete does, right? Mm. So why do you want to run 100 metres really fast? Oh, I just, I just want to. It would be cool if I was the fastest person at doing this. That would be cool. Mm. 
And I'd say, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, as long as you do it and don't, you know, really badly hurt yourself. And go, yeah, why would I hurt myself just to run 100 meters? You know, that's like the boundaries of athleticism that seems to make sense. But if you go outside of that and you go, oh, yeah, I want to just throw my body on a bunch of spikes. Like, yeah, well, probably, I don't really, I don't think that is cool. <laughs> yeah, but it's to, you know, it's to help children in need. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think, I think it helped them some other way. Just <laughs> televised. Yeah. Yeah, BBC the next day. Your children in need have had to actually hand back the money from the person on the spikes. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, maybe, and uh, not to not to go full Edwards, but maybe there's just like a lot of class issues and views. I don't know how to describe this, but obviously because he's such like a simple normal normal guy. But then, like, if posher people go, I want to climb Everest. Why? Because it's there. Everyone's like, that makes sense. Go and do that. But then you see this, and because he's doing everything on the cheap, and because he's such, like, a normal guy, mm-hmm. there has to be a reason behind this. There has to be, like, a some sort of, like, driving power within him. That's really interesting. Yeah, do you think... Because I think... Um, I, I, I don't know about this kind of stuff too well, but I think probably given when and where he grew up in Slovenia in you know under the uh, Soviet bloc probably what class meant in any way was really squashed but like he's almost definitely come out of the other end as a working class guy um, and you're right I think if it was like a British explorer Bear Grylls type with jodhpurs and like a well-groomed face he can just say I'm doing it for a laugh and then the world media would be like, yes, and we shall laugh with you. Never mind that all the people who live near Everest climb it all the time. Do you know when they do the um, stuff about, like, first person to climb Everest, they've always got to put in brackets, like, apart from, like, the natives and the locals and stuff who, who go up it. Yes. It's like, okay, we're just not counting them. That's, like, not interesting to us <laughs> that these people could do it very easily. There's a really good documentary called Sherpa. That it's just about mm. these guys who were constantly going up and having to like clear away dead bodies and yeah, like people going up to die. <laughs> yeah, Everest is so much like that because then they do die, right? The the amount of corpses littering Everest, yeah. they're all Martin Strauss, but worse because they died. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, honestly, it's um, yeah. I just think there's some, and especially at the end, there's like this kind of when you're reading the text at the end, saying no one wanted to speak to him no American talk shows wanted him on. And it's like, that seems so... If he was a personality mm. or if he was more sort of socially... Socially acceptable? You know what I mean? Like, sort of not so norm, normal guy. Then he just swam the fucking Amazon. Like, they, everyone would have, everyone would want to be speaking to him want him on. But the fact that mm. the money just sort of goes and then he's kind of just at home... He hasn't done, like, you know, there's no press that is scrabbling to speak to him or... And the kind of guy they'd be interested in just wouldn't be constitutionally capable of doing it. Exactly. People who are worried about their image aren't willing to get eggs laid in their brain and to shit through their wetsuit, <laughs> right? Because they're going to think yeah. about what if this goes on Instagram? What if someone puts this on Flickr and puts it Creative Commons so anyone can use it? Exactly. That's the That's end. It. 
Right. So is there anything else you would like to add, Sean Molly? No, I think I've said every single thought <laughs> I've had about Big River Man. <laughs> yes. Good. I'm going to stop the recording. Thank you so much to Sean for sharing your time and your insights with this podcast. Do make sure that you follow Sean on all social media channels. Sean is always up to something. That's the best way I can describe him. <laughs> so make sure that you are clued into the Mallverse. And now comes time for me to ask for your kindness and support. If you could like and subscribe or whatever kind of terminology they are using on the platform that you're listening on, that would be very much appreciated. We've got lots of exciting episodes coming up. So I would really appreciate you staying in touch. And if you've enjoyed this, share it on your socials. Do we still use the word socials? I don't know. But I would really, really appreciate you spreading the word if you feel like it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope you have a wonderful day.